0: Hello and welcome back to the Chasing Wins podcast. I'm back with Jim and uh, Manu. Uh, it's great to have you guys back on together. Uh, and uh, the season, the, the people like to say second half, but it's the final third of the season. Um, after All Star break, we have 24 games to go in the Warriors season. And right now they are smack dab at 529 and 29. They're sitting currently at the nine seed, I believe. Uh. And so they're currently a playing team. And we're just going to discuss today generally the trends, uh, positive and negative, that we've seen and that we would like to see going forward and then kind of relative to what we expect to see overall. So kind of like what we expect overall in terms of expectations and what we hope for and kind of that balance. And we're going to provide the stats behind them and and kind of what we've seen in terms of eye test, uh, the patterns and identifying issues but also the positive uh, habits that we've developed although they're far and few between so I mean we can I'm gonna start with just overall like the basic team stats Um, so in terms of like where we rank in terms of offense and, and defense so 12th in offense 20th in defense 19th in net In terms of the second half of the season, I mean, what have you guys seen, or not second half, in terms of the final third of the season, what have you guys seen so far that you liked uh, the first two thirds pre-All-Star break? And what do you hope to see in terms of being corrected and in terms of trends post-All-Star break?
1: Um, I can go first. Um, I think throughout the season we've seen uh, many different elements where we've shined Um, in in different areas but like we haven't we just haven't been able to put together Um, we've had times where the starters were doing um, amazing at the same time the bench is like messing up or you know they aren't holding that lead but then you have other games where the bench is holding it down after like a bad start from the starters so there are a lot of different things Um, you have games you have like most of the season where Steph is on a roll Wiggins is on a roll but the rest aren't like contributing and you have vice versa. So it's just trying to get that all together, I think is the biggest issue for sure.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, and I agree because that consistency of like having one through nine play like together, having, you know, clay and Jordan be in sync and not like have one of them score 24 efficiently, but the other struggle with 12 points, like, or like 14 points, that type of thing. Wiggins also, like Wiggins coming back, I know he's had a few games where he's found his rhythm, he's found him his old self. He had that 29-point game against the Wizards, and he showed out there. Uh, and his defense seems to start coming, you know, it's been it's been coming back to, to regular form, uh, especially in that Thunder game, which was, I believe, his first or second game back. So it's been, right now, it's been choppy overall. We, we haven't really been able to string together consistency on, on either end. But we've been been a more consistent offensive team. I mean, we are 12th in offense. But if you look at the, the gap between 12 and 20, which is the Lakers, that's within a point. So you're seeing, like, even within the stats, there's this parity and variance that we're like a couple bad games. While we're 12th in offense now, we can drop down to 17. And, and defensively, we rank 20th. But the gap between the 20th defense – and the twelfth defense is within a point as well. So again, you put you string together a few consistent defensive efforts and performances. Next thing you know, you're almost a top ten defense. The way that the league has been, the conditions, parity on both sides of the ball has been apparent, and you're it's reflected in our record. Now, there's been some teams that have separated themselves, like the Celtics, the Nuggets, the Bucks, those type of teams. But um, and they've done things in terms of sustaining. You know, one through eleven, kind of how they, you know, the rotations, the consistent play, the style of play, um, leaning into certain identity stuff, and we haven't found our identity either. So, I mean, Jim, what do you, what do you think in terms of like, what do you, what do you see us doing post All Star break? But from an identity standpoint, what do we have to do to get back to what we've been, especially the last two years? Because post All Star break, two years ago, we went fifteen and five, and we found ourselves. On both ends, well, even though it wasn't necessarily sustainable, we found a formula. We ran pick and roll based on the lead conditions. We leaned defense. Steph kind of carried the offense in that sense. And while we don't want to get back to that style of play necessarily, from an identity standpoint, what do you want to see?
2: Well, okay. So in the beginning of this podcast, you asked – the positives and the negatives, right? In terms of what's happened so far this season. And I think more than anything, I'd like to kind of discuss what we've learned because from a positivity standpoint, there's, you know, to be honest with you, there's not a lot for a championship team to uh, follow it up with this kind of season is it's hard to take too many positives. They've had two, three, Three game um, winning streaks this season, along with one five game win streak. That was the longest win streak of the season. So only two three game win streaks. Is, that's wild, right? Uh, that's it's hard to take positives from that. Now, having said that, going into you know the post All Star break, there's a lot of question marks because Steph Curry is still injured. And we're not really quite sure when he's, when he's coming back, o- according to reports, they're not going to provide an update until this weekend. And so we'll see what happens with that. We also have a question mark when it comes to Gary Payton, the second, we don't know when he's coming back or if he's, if he's coming back. So, and on top of that, they still haven't resolved their power forward situation, a guy who can replace either lamb or Jermichael green as a definitive kind of defensive piece that they can rely on moving forward. Lamb can defend to some extent. He can hold ground, but he can't rebound. And then Jermichael Green can rebound better than Lamb, but he's a worse defender. And so they don't have that out Porter junior replacement yet. And the Warriors are kind of still looking around to see what may be available in the buyout market. But if they want success in the playoffs in terms of, just consistency and not get frustrated because they can't cover the basics, the fundamentals, then they absolutely need to look for that piece though. And I know that Stanley Johnson is a name that's out there, a guy who's 6'7", 230, 40 pounds, and who can rebound better and defend better in general. And by the
0: way, to to speak to that, he averages seven and a half rebounds per 36 minutes, shooting 45% from three this year with the Spurs, but it's on low attempts, but still he's able to convert. And also positionally, historically, Stanley Johnson's played the forward spot and actually more so power forward than small forward. Like the dude is a legit, like power forward. You can play him. And I would even say on our team, given the roster, given the style of play, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be an unideal to play him at the small ball five. Because of his skill set, I wouldn't do it for long stretches, but he has a very extensive skill set. He could defend, he could rebound, he can slash, and hit hit an open shot. I mean, that's kind of like GP two, right? I mean, that type. Yeah, of Yeah, I weapon. don't know.
2: I don't know how he would fit with the Warriors. Uh, I, again, if if a guy like Nerlens Noel becomes available, that's the kind of guy that the Warriors at this point absolutely need to go after. Because I just I don't see any wings a guy who can, a wing who can play power forward i'm not seeing that piece other than stanley johnson and so there's definitely a lack of security there in that regard but they have to keep their ears and eyes open uh, and the warriors have to kind of figure themselves out and define what they're going to who they're going to use and like you said how are they going to play offensively moving forward well especially without steph curry you know two years ago they went on that 15 and five or six run that they did to end that season to uh, just uh, have a record just good enough to be in the play-in. And, and this time they don't have Steph Curry. But when they did go on that run, it's because, and they kind of didn't have a choice because they were decimated by injuries. They had to run an eight-man rotation. But that's also kind of like a playoff rotation, right? So there was, unintentionally, there was a sense of urgency. And then the offense was kind of more based around Steph Curry. It was like, a, like you said, a lot more pick and rolls. And that's what they do in the playoffs, right? And it, it brought them more success. And so the Warriors kind of have to get into playoff mode starting now, really. Because when you look at the situation, they're in the ninth seed. They don't have Steph Curry. And they are one game away from being out of the play-in. This is no joke. You got two teams on their tail. That's one game back. The Lakers, who have uh, improved their roster, are, what, two and a half games back. So anything can happen. Obviously, the Warriors, they're also what the Sacramento Kings are. uh, Let's see. The Warriors are three and a half games back from being the third seed. So a lot can happen here. At the same time, teams like the Clippers and the Suns and the Mavericks, who are ahead of the Warriors, they've improved their situations, whereas the Warriors, they they don't know what's going to happen without Steph Curry. They don't know what's going to happen without that, that piece that they're looking for. They don't know what's going to happen without Gary Payton. And so the least they can do is turn to kind of a playoff rotation and play playoff schemes. They have to do this just to, hold, just to hold ground until Steph Curry comes back. And the thing about Steph Curry coming back and the complications with that even is the fact that he had a leg injury. And when Steph Curry has a leg injury and misses like a month or something along those lines, he needs time to get reacclimated. He's behind everybody else, right? When he came back from the shoulder injury, it took him roughly two weeks for him to really get back into things and feel comfortable and feel like himself on the floor. In terms of his all-around game, his rebounding, his assists and defense and all that stuff, it didn't really come all together until that Memphis game. Uh, when he really went off in that fourth quarter to bring them back. And from there, he started to go off. He he found his rhythm and he told this to the media that, you know, he, he needed time to get his rhythm and timing back. And so it took him two weeks and that wasn't, that was a shoulder injury. And so the fact that he has a leg injury that he's coming back from, that's going to take, even when he does come back, it's going to take him some time. And so, there's a lot of uncertainties going into the second half of the season or the 24 games that they have left. That's not a, that's not a let lot. Me,
0: let me ask you this because yeah. you say you say uncertainty. Do you think Steve is going to maintain a shortened rate rotation and he's not going to go 10-11 deep and he's going to do the 8-9 thing with Poole, Dante, Kaminga and kind of just leave it at that? He's not going to play Lamb. He's not going to play maybe Jerome in certain situations. But my point is, is like, do you think Steve, because you do real like 2021 is a reference point. That is, that is a historical, you know, that's a, that's a historical basis for what this situation is. And Steve shortened the rotation. I mean, he, he was ba- We basically went seven deep, eight deep, like it was Mulder pool and JTA off the bench. And it was that just that. And we played a style of play that was like, okay, high pick and roll, high pick and roll. You know, Steph iso, Steph driving kick, Steph to the basket. Like a lot of Steph's, I mean, his usage was super high, especially in in the second or the last third of that season in 21. And I'm just thinking, is Steve going to just go with what he knows, what is optimal? Or is he going to try to balance out and try to be like, okay, let's just run a deeper lineup let's have the rotation be what it is jerome gets 10 minutes here lamb gets seven minutes there you know what I'm saying like or do you expect him to be more cutthroat and more definitive in how he approaches this you know what I'm saying because they understand what it is final 24 games it's not like you have like half the season left you have a th- less than a third right like you gotta yeah, at some point you have to win some games every game now means more than ever every game is worth two to three games, given the standings and how close they are. So you get what I'm saying? Like, what do you expect on that front? Do you expect Steph to turn up? And we'll get to that a bit from a statistical and historical standpoint. But what do you expect?
2: So he can't. Like I just said, he needs time even when he does come back. And we don't even know when he's coming back. It could be with 15 games left for all we know. Uh, So it really depends. I, I don't think it's going to be difficult to just rely on Steph Curry. The moment he comes back, he needs time to re-acclimate himself. So in the meantime, Kerr, in terms of what Kerr can do, well, he needs to kind of take the lessons that he's learned this season. Number one thing is you can't play too small. And that's not something that you can do in the playoffs anyway. And so he needs to stay away from playing three, four guards at the same time. And so, but in terms of a guy like Ty Jerome, until Steph comes back, he has to play because he's the backup point guard. Uh, with Jordan Poole st- uh, starting, that's the only other guy uh, that's going to back him up. So he has to play. It's just Kerr just has to watch the combination of guys that he plays at the same time. So I would say, for example, a really bad idea would be to play Jerome and Poole together alongside, let's say, Clay Thompson and DiVincenzo. Like, that's not going to work. If you're putting Clay Thompson at power forward. I think Kerr said something like that earlier uh, in the season, saying that Clay Thompson is more of a small forward power forward than a shooting guard small forward, which I don't think is true. So he has to take these lessons and make sure that he doesn't continue to run the same kind of lineups that hasn't worked all season. It, it's We're getting close to closing time. You
0: know, I saw a stat that said, um, and we know this like kind of like on paper, you can kind of see it, but from a greater standpoint the warriors are 22 and 7 at home and 7 and 22 on the road and that's like the greatest di- discrepancy since the 19 2019 2020 76ers but like at home we're one of the best teams in the league and and then on the road we are one of the worst and i'm thinking like you look historically we've won at least one road and one road game in in 27 straight playoff series basically since the Steph era like in 2013 so a lot of this like assuming we get to the playoffs is your confidence I just want to project there really quickly is does your confidence wane at all in terms of our ability to win games on the road like because we've been a very bad road team and there's a lot that goes into it to that like the Wiseman experiment how like Steve kind of didn't have great rotations to start the season running five straight bench guys not mixing in starters uh injuries scheduling with back-to-back like so many things that have contributed to what our road record is but at the end of the day we are what we are um so what do you like assuming we make the playoffs let's say we get through the season we're like the seven seed or six seed whatever maybe we're not maybe we're better maybe we're a little worse but like what is your comp because big picture at the end of the day like this is cool but you know standings and w- where we're where we're at where we want to be but big picture you know when it comes when it comes down to it do you like for do you view us as like a competent team on the road in a playoff setting
2: I think it depends entirely on the availability of Gary Payton even in the regular season if Gary Payton was available right now I would feel a lot more confident and comfortable that they can play better on the road because the one thing that you can rely on even if your shots don't fall on the road is your defense and if you have the proper defensive pieces to do that then you can be a better defense uh then you can be a better overall team on the road as well and so it really hinges on the availability of rely more reliable defensive pieces and so and they and the Warriors still have this Kind of two-way guy situation with Jerome and Lamb, right? So as an organization, they still need to figure that out. Who are they? Who are we gonna? Who are they gonna keep? Who are they gonna let go of? They can only keep one, right?
0: You know, I think you made some good points there, and and that's what I was thinking. Like, there's like two. There's two parts to this. This whole thing. It's like what we're gonna be in the final stretch here, and then what we're gonna look like in the playoffs, and they they go hand in hand. Like, what is sustainable? If we're playing, if Steve – I'm going to be very cognizant of how Steve – like, who he, who he plays, how long he plays them for, what lineups he puts out there, that sort of thing, because that's going to tell me what – like, assuming – let's even say, like, whatever, we, we get through the regular season, we're 42-40, and 40, something like that. First of all, that record tells me that we made – Marginal, if any, improvements at all, like post All Star break. But it also tell it'll probably also tell me based on how we get there, like what does the playoffs look like from that standpoint? Because we'll kind of know based on the trend, this final trend in this final stretch here, we can kind of see what it what it look like in the playoffs. I I think the playoffs are a different setting and a different environment overall, like the de- the way teams can play defense the style of play all that stuff but if our habits continue from a defensive standpoint if offensively we're not settled down we're, we're turning the ball over we're 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 three, 2 3 point centric all those flaws and where we haven't really ironed out like the issues not I'm not saying we have to solve all of them but you have to you have to really like you have to be able to limit certain so, so, some of these things to really have sustainable and, and high level you know, of play to carry it out into the playoffs. You can't be a 500 team all year and then expect to turn it around in the playoffs. Can you, there is a switch you can flip, but you need to gain and garner momentum. Like people forget, last season, we ended the year 23 and 23, but we we, we ended the year on a five game win streak and Jordan was going off in those last, in that last stretch without Steph, right? And ending on that note, People forget, like, there, we came out the playoffs guns blazing, and that's fine. But I think that five-game win streak was able to round out certain things. It it instilled certain habits. It gave us some momentum. You can't just win, like you said, with the win streak. Win three, lose one. Win one, lose two. All that. And then you look up, you're still a 500 team. And then in the playoffs, develop. A, and I'm not saying we, we're going to get first-rounded. But, like... Series might go seven, six, seven games now because we had, we had never developed that consistency we needed throughout the year. And when I say consistency, I'm talking about balance, balancing Jordan and Clay, balancing you know, Wiggins into the mix, finding that defensive viability, the lineups, the consistency, all that stuff. If you can't fine-tune it and calibrate it, then it's hard to do so in the playoffs when teams are gunning and coming out trying to win a title – And you're still figuring things out. So I think paying attention to what Steve does in this final stretch, if he's running seven, eight-man rotations, that tells me there's a sense of desperation and he hasn't found the answers. What Steve is trying to do is he's trying to find some balance between clay and pool, between the bench, between the starters, trying to integrate all of these guys into the mix. And part of it, like you said, GP2 is a big piece to that in terms of the balance, consistency, viability, from a lineup standpoint. Right now, we haven't found the formula. We haven't found the rhythm and the momentum we need. But I'm hopeful post-All-Star break that we will. And speaking of post-All-Star break, I know Manu uh, wants to wants to uh, jump in here. So I'm, I'm going to let him have the floor.
1: Yeah. Actually, first, I want to add um, off of what you were just saying, um, how Steve could pot- potentially um, put in those um, plays play seven or eight deep, showing that desperation. And I feel like now we kind of have to lean towards these short rotations to finish the season. Um, I feel like trading-wise kind of more than confirms that, you know, we kind of want to win now. We aren't, like, fully 100%. We, we don't know that um, we're super, super committed now and we're super desperate to win. But at least, you know, we're in that kind of direction. Um, so I found a stat, like, um, this is from PBP stats. They can get very in-depth in terms of um, play-by-play stuff, hence PBP stats. Um so like, apparent. Um, so it says that the Warriors are the only team five hundred uh, with win percentage of five hundred or higher to have a negative net, net rating when there are both two starters when both just two starters are on the floor and when just three starters are on the floor. So like when the Warriors have five starters or four starters, they're like very solid. But when they're just two, exactly two and exactly three starters, they're negative. Um, their net rating is negative. So I think like when we're trying to mix and match rotations, we have to make sure that, you know, we have core pieces throughout the entire game. Like I remember in 2018, um, either Steph or KD was on the floor at all times, um, like towards the end of the season, I think, or at least, at least before he got injured or something like that. And especially in the playoffs. So we just kind of have to maximize our rotations as well as possible. And,
0: um, I agree. And, and, and that's a good point because Dante, if you look at PVP, right. And you look up like, and I don't know the exact net rating, but last I checked, he was like a slight positive. He's like a plus one like Dante. And then next to Steph, I think last I checked, he's like a plus 11. So Dante is a positive next to the starters. And we know from past experience, like we know GP two is a major positive, right? Like
1: The human plus minus,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, like he's a walking positive. Yep. So, you think about all that. That those are two guys, and then you got the 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 five dudes, the starters. So that's seven. Now it's like okay, Kaminga, Jermichael, those two, the front court guys, like the power forward center position, those are the guys that are going to really. That's going to tell me what Steve, you know, how they play, the consistency with which they play. And then, like, especially defensively, that's going to tell me what Steve does. Because if they come out the gates and they're still struggling, they're, they're not finding their footing, all that stuff, Steve is probably going to limit their minutes, uptick the starters' minutes, like you said, because we we play better when more starters are on the floor. And when Steph and GP2 come back, like, it's all hands on deck, seven to eight man rotation, right? And, and I just don't think that's sustainable, and I don't think that's a good thing. So... The biggest thing here is to get Kaminga and Jamichael up to speed, because this is what the roster is now. And I know Jim mentioned earlier adding a guy like Nerlens Noel or possibly Stanley Johnson at that front court position in terms of what we need, a rim protector, a guy who can rebound, just fill in, be solid for five to ten minutes. I'd rather have Stanley Johnson in terms of a versatile wing, but either or would help in spots. But shoring up the front court position and that for those front lines to give Draymond Loon some, some, some break, not overwork them, but also have a competent, you know, piece out there that can eat minutes and not be a major negative, right? Lamb is just a negative. He's a walking negative. However you slice it, is he solid for his role and for his, you know, what he is on the team and his contract, all that. Yeah. Well, Lamb's been very good. All things considered relative to what he is and, and what he makes all that stuff. But Overall, you don't you know you cannot depend on a sustainable outcome with Anthony Lamb on the floor. Um, so I post All Star break. I also want to speak on Steph. Um, what to expect from him? I know Manu has a, a stat to that, and that he uh, post on Warriors news very well done. Um, not only from a statistical standpoint, but from a graphic standpoint, and that really illustrated what how Steph really turns up on and from a production but more so efficiency standpoint after the all-star break and having him come back from injury is going to be big, right? Cause the shoulder is going to get some rest. He's, I'm sure he's getting treatment on that as well as the, the leg, which was more of a complex injury, more more of a long-term thing uh, to maintain and to, to treat. So, I mean, Manu, like I, w- I would love you to kind of illustrate and, and uh, break down year you could do year to year or overall exactly what Steph does in the set in the final third of the season
1: yeah um for sure so um i posted a stat um yeah it was yesterday um comparing his um splits pre-all-star and post-all-star break um we've seen um significant increases in both points and true shooting um in 10 of the 11 healthy seasons he's played um he's increased in either points or true shooting um Yeah, 10 of those 11 seasons. Um, It was only 2018 to 19 where he kind of went down for both um, sections. In 2021, he went up in both where his points per game went up by over five and his true shooting went up as well by 2%, um, shooting a crazy 66.5% with with crazy volume as well. So um, Steph this year, um, pre-All-Star break, is shooting um, the same – True shooting actually sixty six point five percent for this season. Um and he's averaging twenty point twenty nine point four points per game. So um also I mean we do have to expect that um we it might not be like that because um, you know, compared to all the other seasons, he's kind of, you know, unhealthy um with his shoulder, with his um with his um lower body. So um so we it's kind of unpredictable what will happen, but um we're known you know we're known to see Steph like go off um after the All-Star break um another stat here is that Steph is the only player in NBA history to average 40 points per game on 75% true shooting in 10 game span he did this from April 1 to 19 in 2021 68% from 2 51% from 3 96% from f- f- at the line 40.8 points per game on 75.1% true shooting that was April Steph for you um steph um highest points per game in last 20 games of the season post merger steph sits at number three with 37 averaging 37 points per game on 67 percent true shooting after the break oh sorry this is after the last 20 games last 20 games end the season sorry so um steph's done crazy stuff after the break um a lot of this is from his 2021 season where we actually went on a run to end the season but um Unfortunately, you know, playing and stuff, but, you know, I think it's just one solid run. Uh, we don't have, we don't need Steph to go bonkers. We just need the team to really gel together um, for us to be okay. I think,
0: I think, I I think, think the most okay. important, and that was a really good breakdown because with Steph, right? I actually, I think he'll be, my hope is that he comes back. He's lower volume, higher efficiency, and to be higher efficiency exactly. what he is right now is tough, right? Like he's pretty he set a pretty high bar. But if he can come back and just settle in and find and find his footing and, and not have to carry, so to speak, like that would be ideal, but I don't know if it's likely. So that's what I'm saying. This first stretch of few games, three to five games, is gonna really tell us a lot as to where these dudes are. Because I think the four most important players, right? And we can kind of break down and maybe, you know. Throw another guy in here, whatever. They're all important, but for me, it's the balance between Clay and Pool, because if we can find that, I think we're in very good shape. And then the integration of Kaminga and Jamichael, though those four do, and I, you know, Wiggins matters, all that stuff. You need to get him in a rhythm, all that. And by the way, Dalton Johnson just tweeted that Wiggins might miss Thursday's game with, with the personal matter as well. So obviously, that's not good news, but. Wiggins I think he'll find himself when he comes back and he'll be fine hes he started to get to get some momentum back to what he was the first half of the season but I just think there's certain guys that have to just fall into place and, and find their footing but once they do Steph can come in and, and ease himself in and be more efficient find his, you know pick his spots not have to feel like it's the burdens on him to, to make every play and to deliver at, a, at such an efficient clip to keep us in games because, and and again, the identity here that we've lost the, really the story of the season is defense. If we can lean defense, stay committed on that end and remain consistent throughout the stretch, build some momentum towards the playoffs. I think we'll be fine. So there's really some indicators here and that I think we could tell early on exactly what the, you know, what the direction of this team is going forward. Uh, Jim, do you have any ideas or anything to add to that or?
2: Yeah, so in terms of their defense, I, I think it is what it is. If you're, if there's a third of the season left to play and you're 20th defensively, that's tough. That's you're not a good defensive team. And I think they really miss Mike Brown. Obviously, even two years ago when they were playing 500 for most of the season, they, what did they end up? They were number like I think they were number five defensively, right? So even in a down season like that, they their defense never really broke apart the way it has this season. Their defense has been a joke for a chunk of the season. So that's pretty worrisome. It tells me that they're missing defensive core defensive pieces that can hold fort outside of the starting unit. And so again, that's that's part of the reason why the return of Gary Payton so, is so critical. CJ
0: CJ Holmes just said that um that Steph has, has been doing non-contact shooting drills today. So he's doing on court, he's back to on court activities. Um, he'll be reevaluated within the next few days. And uh, I, I'm going to assume another week or so he's out. That's my opinion. I think. I think early March is is the target, and mid March is at worst is the latest, right? But that gives him a good three to four weeks of the season to come back and figure some stuff out. Um, Manu, did you uh, have anything to add on that about the defense?
1: Yes. Um, so I found a stat, a few stats last week where. Um, I think a big indicator of us playing bad on defense, um, it's a lack of hustle, defense effort. Um, I feel and a bit of luck. I think second chance points. Um, the Warriors are thirteen and two when opponents have eleven or fewer second chance points, and they're five and thir- five and thirteen when they give up seventeen or more, and one and five when opponents have twenty or more. And this season, like turnovers are all the more acceptable because, like, in the past, you know, we've. We've been we've turned it over a lot still, but we've been able to back that up with good D and good offense and other possessions. But the Warriors, when they give up twenty eight or more points off turnovers uh, from the opponents, they're zero and eight. And when um, uh, last season, where uh, they gave up that many points, they were they still had a winning record. They were thirteen and five when opponents had seventeen or more points off turnovers. So I feel like. Comparing this to last season, um, the Dubs found a way, like you know, around situations, and that was because hustle. I felt you know, like didn't stop in other areas; they kind of freeze, and they get taken over for long periods of games this season. And I have another stat there. Um, it, this was a crazy stat I found. Um, again, this is also from PBP. Um, so, listen to this: in the fourth quarter, when leading by ten points or fewer, the Warriors right after right after the opponent makes the shot. The play after their opponent makes the shot in the fourth quarter, on average, have an effective field goal percentage of 38.64% following those possessions. So that's 41.6% from two and 23.8% from three. So basically, whenever opponents score in the fourth, while we have a lead, the Warriors are most likely to mess it up in the following possession. And that's by far the worst in the league in these types of scenarios, which is like, you know, crazy. And if you like just filter everything out, or sorry if you change that to an after a miss the Warriors effective field goal percentage goes up by a whole 10%. So um it's this ability inability to maintain composure and they just let teams uh run through them uh when they're not locked in which is just the worst sight and I feel like that's been apparent all season.
0: And and that's what I'm thinking is like I know Jim you know obviously believes that the defense is kind of what it is at this point and and I agree. Like we've we haven't proven we're a, you know, even a mid defense. We're bottom third, like twentieth in defense. But we've seen stretches where even in that five game win streak without Steph and Wiggins, like when we're locked in and committed to that end, and we're playing consistent, you know, defense on high level defense on possession, possession and possession out. That's that sort of thing. It it the it, even against Boston, like or in November, I think it was. Like we played them at home, and we we were just getting stop after stop after stop. And that team was obviously, I mean, they're the number one team in the league by record, but or maybe one or two, but at that time, they were just taking the league by storm. They had like the greatest offensive rating ever, all that stuff. They came out the gates hot, and we were able to just, I mean, we played them in the finals last year. So I've just seen this team play good defense, good to great defense for stretches, and then I've seen them play... Really bad defense for, for also long stretches. Um, well, I think
2: Manu pointed out the whole rebounding part, right? So that's that's one of their biggest issues is that they're missing a proper defender who can finish defensive possessions with a rebound. And that's not Lamb, that's not Jermichael Green, and that's not Jonathan Kuminga. And so, again, that, if they pick up that one extra piece, and if they had that from the get-go, this whole season would have been different. Because it, it all comes down to when the starters sit in that second and uh, fourth quarter, uh, the starters sit, the bench guys come in and they have to kind of, you know, stay connected. But they, they just haven't been able to do that. And that's where it, oftentimes they give up a lot of momentum. And, you know, the game of basketball, it, you give up momentum to the other team, you give up confidence. And all of a sudden that team, even when the starters come back, it, they, they just can't stop what's already been started. You know what I mean?
0: You know, so. so I know we talked about um, we talk about that, that momentum thing. The bench has been much better since, like, the first couple months overall. It's actually the starters that have slipped a bit, but we haven't been healthy. So I think, yeah, like, the formula here is getting healthy, getting whole, and then just finding that consistency we haven't been able to all year. And that's the big question. That's what I'm saying. Out the gates, we're going to find out, like, it's not even about, you I know, mean, you want to get stops. That's the best indicator of good defense. But, like, the simple stuff, you know, like the discipline, the not reaching in, the, the not fouling three-point shooters, staying solid, holding ground, rebounding, closing them out, uh, clo- like regular closeouts, like just not getting beat, that sort of thing, staying connected. And we've seen too many times this year where breakdowns have happened time and time again for stretches and, and it lets team, you know, the confidence lets them get back into games. We lose leads. We blow games, all this stuff. So, I mean, we're just going to see, like, we're going to see this. I think this is the most important, uh, obviously, because it's the, towards it's the end of the year and seeding and all that. But this is going to tell us, especially the next five to 10 games, really the trend they're going to move in because it could be a tale of two seasons. It could be a tale of two teams. Uh, it's not like it's out of the realm of possibility or out of the realm of ability. They can do it. We've seen them do it. We've seen them do it last year. We've seen them do it even this year. But it's the consistency. And part of it's also league conditions. And the playoffs, I think, are better suited for what we do in our style of play. But regardless, you still have to develop good habits, You know, remain consistent in certain in certain things and categories. So it's not like, you know, the shooting has to match the defense. You can't just lose all your offense and lean defense, but that's where Steph finds that balance. So Jordan, Jordan's going to have to lead the charge here and find that balance too, which is going to be tough on him and Clay. which is why I say those two f- calibrating and finding the right footing is going to be really important. Speaking of Jordan, I really want to just speak on this quick. After the All-Star game in 2021, he averaged 14 points, two rebounds, two assists. This was off the bench. On 43, 35, 87. Those are very, very good stats and very good splits for a second-year player coming off the bench on a team that had playoff aspirations. So he did well there. And then last year, he averaged 23, 5, and 4 on 47, 41, 93 splits after the All-Star break in 23 games. So not only does Steph take a step forward after the All-Star break but Jordan has shown that he actually improves post All-Star break in his own right and with no Steph coming up in these next 5 games or so around I expect Jordan to you know all hands on deck he's going to be he's going to be engaged and he's going to try to take over some games and he'll he'll be high volume but I really feel like you know last season the final 5 games we played the Jazz the Kings, the Lakers, the Spurs, the Pelicans. We went on a five-game win streak. Jordan was killing it. I mean, he was a plus sixteen, plus nineteen, plus two, plus eight, plus nine. Straight positives. That especially that cl- to close out the year on a five-game win streak, lead the team. He had a game of, you know, multiple games of six threes, four threes, four threes again, three threes. Getting to the free throw line, he had seven free throws, eleven free throws, four free throws. And his turnovers. Um, they were still like pretty high, five turnovers, four turnovers, five, four, whatever. But he was rebounding the ball pretty well. Yeah, like getting, you know, four or five rebounds. And his assists, 11 assists, eight assists, five assists, six. Again, high volume, high efficiency. But Jordan tends to also, historically, I mean, we only have two, two seasons of data, so not a ton, but he's shown this trend and this pattern of improving post-All-Star break. In term and from both a production and efficiency standpoint. So I also expect Clay to be a you know more composed and more sharp post all-star break from it from an attacking standpoint. So those two dudes, I think they're gonna lead the charge because it really starts and ends with your best players. So I don't know. That's kind of my two cents on that. Uh and then in terms of overall, we've seen what the first two-thirds of the season gave us. Again, we're twelfth in offense, twentieth in defense, nineteenth in net. Those three indicators are very important.
1: Also, SRS
0: is a is a more of an advanced stat that I look at, uh, which is a good championship predictor. We're seventeenth in that, so it's you know obviously it's like a rating system based on like the schedule and how we perform relative to whatever. It's it's an advanced stat. I I use it to predict champ like contention all that. Seventeenth is just not good, right? That's bottom bottom third. Or yeah. it's not bottom third; it's it's bottom half. So, again, not good. But we've dropped we've dropped games to teams we shouldn't have lost to. So, the trends are the trends. We win two, we lose two. We win three, we lose four. We win five, we lose one. We win one, we lose two. It's we, we see it again and again. Can't string together a stretch where we win eight out of ten or nine out of thirteen, right? That's the challenge. So for in terms of what you guys hope to see, what do you hope to see going forward? And and then also what do you expect to see? Like that kind of balance of like what you want to see, but then maybe what you expect to see might be a little different. So maybe they're the same, but what what do you guys think?
2: Mono, you can go first.
1: Well, um, What's it bouncing off of what you said at the start, um, with, with Jordan Poole's, um, explosion to end, um, to end the season that really had me hooked. Um, I think that Utah game, when we were done, uh, when we went on that 18, nothing run, um, uh, to be honest, I kind of had my doubts while, um, Steph was right. I was like, mm, could we, could we win? Like I was optimistic, but at the same time, I felt like I didn't really have the signs, but that game kind of, uh, reassured me. And, um, and, like, uh, after that run, I felt like you know we were set, we just had to win some games to close out the season and and I feel like we make a good push, and that could be uh that could be um you could say the same for this, I feel, yes, um our record is nowhere near as good as it was last year, but i'm I would be convinced if we had a great push um to end the season, I think if like you said, if we want, if we had a stretch of ten where we won eight of those ten games, or you know to end the season, or if we beat someone like Milwaukee or Phoenix or the Clippers, because th- those are the guys we're facing um, in the next month or month or two. Um, we're in the middle of the pack in terms of our strength of schedule. We have home games uh, where we're facing Houston, Minnesota twice, um, OKC, San Antonio, Portland. Um, the Pelicans twice. I mean, some of them aren't easy, but I feel like we can. This is the best opportunity to string some wins together, and I think that um, if we can get that going, I think you know. I think we'll be fine. I just we just need a good run here, and I feel like a twenty-four game sample size is not that bad, honestly. Like if you compare that to, to the start of um, was it last? oh it's the start of last season where we went 18 and 2 that was a 20 game sample size and that kind of like we rode that we rode the we rode the way um the rest of the season so i think just having a great um close close out to the season where not just steph is going off or, or while, while while seeing sorry while seeing the rest of the guys um pop off without steph being able to that find balance, their achieving that balance yep, exactly yeah. and,
0: and that's the hardest thing right like because in today's mm-hmm. the nature of today's game the conditions like it doesn't lean defense so it's going to be tough to like you know you got GP2 you got Dante right as like solid pieces but then Jordan's more of a offensive type of weapon and then you got Loon and Draymond who can't really shoot but they're like really needed for to get stops and to close out defensive possessions that sort of thing fine tuning the lineups this is what i'm saying Steve Kerr needs to Really, this is going to be Kerr's moment. This these upcoming two months, we're going to see this. I think this is going to be the best of Steve Kerr we're going to see all year, because I think he's going to really lean into what this team needs from a from a just a win standpoint, and then it's just a matter of executing. So here's what I mean by that. From so we 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 start in LA on Thursday. I'm not saying we have to win that game, but there's some things from an eye test standpoint. When you watch the games, you see what lineups work, you see what players do, you see how what what is emphasized and the consistency with which we we play. And it's a conjoint thing, right? It's not just Steve; it's it's a conjoint effort. It's it's Steve. It trickles down to Jordan as the leader, and then and Jordan and Clay, and then it's like, is Dante going to be you know solid? Is Draymond going to be engaged? That sort of thing. But there's some mental markers that I kind of look for. And if we don't hit the ground running from that standpoint, this team is in trouble. So what I mean by that is we don't have to win, you know, four out of five or like even, you know, we don't have to go on a crazy run without Steph in the first few games without him, but we have to, I have to see certain things that'll give me assurance that, these guys can sustain a certain level of play leading into the playoffs. So if I'm watching Clay get blown by and then, you know, Loon is closing out and he's, he's looking like Gobert out there because nobody can hold the perimeter and we're just getting beat and guys are getting to the rim and then offensively just chucking shots, not really settled down, just turning the ball over, jacking up threes, that sort of thing. If I'm just seeing these same habits and these same issues – creep in after the you know after this all-star break and they haven't really hit the ground running from an execution focused discipline consistency standpoint that's where I'm going to I'm going to start to sound the alarms and the red flag because Steph that's going to tell me that they think not only they think but we are going to operate under the assumption that the only way this see the season can be saved is if Steph comes back and saves us right like that's gonna tell me that there there is no stringing together of consistency on either end. And then from a win standpoint, wins are big, right? We need to win games. But if I'm watching these dudes fly defensively, flying out there, ro- rotating really well, tr- you know, going for rebounds, getting good shots, you know, generating good offense, cutting, all that stuff. Like I'm not saying don't shoot threes, but. Again, just the good habits of not taking four threes in a row after you've missed your last three. Um, that sort of thing. Then I'm going to be more like, okay, Steph can come back. and you, you see what I'm saying? And and again, it goes back to last year. We ended the, the, the season on a five-game win streak for a reason. It wasn't because we were playing inconsistent. We played consistently. That Utah game that we won, we were down by like 17 or 20. Remember that game to end the year last year? and Clay and Jordan went off. But I didn't hate the process in that game. It's just Utah had more talent. But what happened? We were doing the right things. We were getting stops. We were staying solid. GP2 had a really good good night that that game. Just solid stuff. That to me. Again, the wins come and go. But that to me will tell me what the expectations should be for, you know, going forward, especially when Steph comes back. Because I watched this team throughout the season and they play a little differently without Steph. Without Steph, there tends to be more of a sense of desperation. There tends to be more of a sense of like, we have to lean more into defense. We have to lean into this. We have to do that. But then I've seen them lose that effort and that grind also. But that's why like the signature moment of the season, the best stretch was that five-game win streak against Charlotte and Utah and all these teams that we played at home. Granted, they were at home, but... We strung together. I mean, we didn't have multiple starters, and we still strung together stops and good possessions. And we're just closing games out, executing. We were more defensive minded. You just see these patterns. And again, it's not like you can't make mistakes, not like you can't have breakdowns, all that stuff. That's part of the game. But when I'm seeing like bad habits and bad basketball being played, that's where like you sound the alarm. So again, this first stretch here, hit the ground running in terms of like habits and that and that type of stuff. And what Steve Kerr does, and from a architects standpoint, like the rotation he he puts out, who he trusts, if he's running seven to eight man lineups, that's a that's not good. That tells me he doesn't have faith that we can achieve the balance given the roster, which tells me he's going to lean hard into the starters, playing high usage high minutes. Which tells me when Steph and GP do come back, he's going to lean into that same philosophy, just adding two important pieces, which is, they're going to help. But again, you don't want a repeat of the 2022 style of play going into the playoffs, right? I just don't find that sustainable. You want to find. 2022 that or
2: 2021? What's up? 2022 or 2021?
0: 2021. 2021. Because 2022, even though, you know, Steph was out and we ended the year on a five game win streak. Like, that five-game win streak, what I was watching was dudes who were engaged from a habitual standpoint, from a consistency standpoint. Even before – think about it. Even before that five-game win streak, I think we had a five-game losing streak. Like, we lost against Miami, I believe. Oh, no, no, no. We beat Miami. But we lost against Atlanta. We lost against – The Magic. Last in the league. Yeah, we lost against the Magic. We lost against, I think – Wizards. The, the, the Wizards. Yeah, no, you are right. You are right. We lost against the Wizards. We also also lost against uh Memphis. Didn't we get like thirty pieced in Memphis? And then we lost against Phoenix at home. But that, but see, okay, my ultimate point here: look at that Phoenix game at home. Do you remember that game last season? This Did when JP
1: know? went off late, or was that a different game?
0: Exactly. No, no. JP went off for thirty-eight, yep. nine, and seven. But that was a fully healthy. Like that was with.
1: I think Booker That was a 64 win Suns team.
0: I'm pretty sure Booker played that game. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he did. And it was Chris Paul, Booker, Crowder, Bridges, uh, uh, Ayton, all these dudes. This was the 64 win Sun team Suns team. Mind you, we we're without Steph, and we might have missed a couple other pieces, maybe not. But Jordan comes out and he has that performance, and that's cool. But we were competitive in that game against the first seed and we were getting stop after stop we were like playing pretty well even though shots weren't falling like clay struggled mightily in that game i remember shots weren't falling you know we were trying to do some stuff i think we the the defining possession of that game was Otto should have slipped he set a screen for clay i think and he should have slipped and Draymond turned it over and that kind of lost us the game but still like to be in a one or two possession game against a 64 win team at home without your best play like that that's the sort of thing where i'm like okay Good habits are being developed. We're competitive for a reason. The guy, you know, guys are getting good shots. We're getting stops against, you know, a really good squad, like that sort of thing. That we closed out the season the right way. Now you look at the year before that against, you know, we ended the season fifteen and five, but like there's a reason we lost two playing games. The roster. Well, can I good. add? Yeah, yeah, I'm go
1: sorry. ahead. Yeah, no, that was our, that was actually our last. Loss at chase until game one of the finals.
0: Wow. Yeah, exactly. And that, and even that game, we were undermanned and we were competitive to the final minutes, but the process was really good. The process put us in a position to win a game. that We weren't supposed to. So that's what I'm saying. Some
1: games like last season where I was like, you know, we, we lost, but I was kind of convinced like, you know yes. that game a game against Boston where Steph got hurt Jordan Poole went off in the second half the same thing he had like five threes or something in the third quarter right. just like that just like that Phoenix game Poole had more points than Devin Booker and Chris Paul combined that game so i was wow. i wow. wasn't too i wasn't too sad about that loss especially sure. cuz you know be, um outright best in the league lost by 4 it, lost by exactly. just over a possession so and, i was kind and, of happy at that result even if and, it was a
0: loss and that's my ultimate point right it's the process you have to watch – like, the stats tell one story. I agree. But you watch the games. You can tell. You can – you know, there's, there's that instinctual, like you said, being convinced, that, that eye test where you can see the patterns, you can see the habits, you can see these things, and you're like, look, we lost the game, but I feel pretty good about where we are. Like, we, we did the right things. We, we, we played well. And, and having Steph and GP2 come back are going to be huge additions. And what happened in the playoffs – Steph comes back, and there's a reason we we played the way we did. No no series went past six games, like we dominated. And Steph came off the bench for the first five game or four games of that series, or th- no, three games, three games of that series. So uh, against the Nuggets, but like we could afford a GP two injury, we could afford an auto injury, we could afford Steph coming up, like because those habits, the process was so fine-tuned at that point and when we had developed that identity we had leaned into it all those things and so ultimately that's my point is there's some process stuff throughout the season this season particularly where the consistency has matched that the, the or the lack thereof and that's my that's ultimately what I'm getting at is when i see steve steve and how these guys play go hand in hand it's a conjoint effort so the process what Steve puts out there and then how these guys perform and the lineups and the individual, all that stuff. It's going to tell me the story of the of the post-All-Star break 2022-2023 Warriors and going into the playoffs, hopefully, like, when, when Steph and GP2 are back in mid to late March, if these dudes are, like, playing 36 minutes, 38, like, GP2's back and he's at, playing 22 minutes, like, if that's what's happening... I'm not setting championship expectations for this team. I'm sorry. I can we can be as optimistic as we want, but I have to see from a process standpoint that Steph and GP two don't have to be the saviors when we when they when they come back. I have to see that from this team without them. Does that mean we have to again? We don't have to win four, three, four, ten games in a row. We have to put together consistent performances that re- allow us to remain competitive. And, and good habits that I feel could be transferable and translatable in a playoff setting. The way um, they've played so far, I don't believe they have. But hopefully, you know, what, what were you going to say, Jim?
2: Dre, I just, I, I'm going to counter some of the things that you're saying. Okay, okay. In regards to what they need to rely on and things like this. I'm going to try to kind of lump in together. Um, I had another point in regards to their schedule and how that's going to play out. And they do have an advantage in the sense that they have a they have a five game home stand coming up after this Lakers game on the road. that, I mean, no Wiggins, no Steph, no GP, sounds like that might be an L. They struggle on the road against the Lakers even even when Steph is on the team. So that might be a tough one. Uh, we, you hope for the best, but uh, aside from that, they have a five game uh, homestand coming up. So that that's good news, right? But after that, They play the final 12 of their last 19 games on the road, right, where they struggle the most. So they have a very tough situation coming up. And out of those teams, only uh, three of them in those final uh, 19 games or so are a play-in team. Uh, uh, They're out of the play-in, I mean, which means all of them are play-in or better that are coming up that they have to play uh, as the season winds down. So the Warriors absolutely have to come together and maximize uh, their roster and the pieces that they have, right? Uh, The seasons, we're running out of time. Having said that, uh, when shit hits the fan, you got to rely on your best players, number one. And so uh, given the fact that they have a guy like Steph Curry that they can rely on, well, you can't really do much about things that are out of your control, which things like, Rebounding and uh, things like their defense. There's only so much that you can do in that regard because you don't have the pieces to do to be better. But offensively, offensively, they can absolutely change how they play. One of uh, the biggest reason two years ago the Warriors went on that 15 and five run to end the season is because they changed the offense. It's because they went to a Curry centric offense, like you talked about, and. Well, the results speak for themselves, right? When Steph Curry is more involved, when his usage rate usage rate gets higher, uh, the the team sees better results. That's just plain and simple. Uh, and so, the Warriors, when they run this motion offense, they have it like you say. They're taking too many shots, not enough shots at the basket, all these kinds of things. But that's all a part of the motion offense. If you if you run the pick and roll, you're naturally going to get to uh, get to the rim more. You're going to attack the rim more and you're going to get to the free throw line more, right? And so, uh, and even if it if it ends up being that, okay, you run a little more stuff for Wiggins in the paint, like they did against the Wizards uh, a, couple of, a, a couple of games back when he had 29 points, um, they attacked inside out rather than outside in and it yielded better results. And so, and that's the same way with the pick and roll unless Steph Curry is shooting, uh, which, you know, if he's getting open shots, then you want that. But other than that, you want to be you want it to be balanced, and you want to attack, right? And in order to do that, you have to mix in more pick and roll stuff, variations, and just you know, if you're constantly running motion and you got Draymond out at the three point line and nobody's guarding him, he's useless, right? So now he's already useless, and you're like, oh, we can't play Looney either, then. Because two of them together, that's completely useless. And it's like the offense makes it seem like they're useless. But if you involve them more directly, going to the basket, it, they're going to be much less, you know, useless in that way. Even if Draymond is outside catching, you know, from the corner uh, out of a pick and roll action, uh, Draymond has shown an ability to hit that shot. But in the motion offense, he's not even looking to shoot. He's looking for a guy to get open off the screen so that some guy can, you know, get. A tough catch and shoot three point shot. That's what the that's what the offense is commanding. So it's crazy to think that you're gonna run the same thing and expect different results for no good reason. You got and you're right. That's completely and utterly on Steve, Steve Kerr to change it up and say, hey, we're gonna mix it up uh, offensively. We're gonna go to our I'll be, play, I'll be playoff sets more.
0: I'll be honest, right? I do think, and and by the way, Tim Kawakami just said um, on radio that. Steph is probably going to miss closer to the next seven to 10 games, which obviously he's not, he doesn't like, that's just an estimate from him, but he is a reporter at the end of the day. He is a, he is within that sphere. I will say that if let's say seven games, right. You you mentioned that we play the Lakers and then the five game, five games at home. So again, like, that's like the five games are going to be big, right? Because without Steph, you're going to be at home. You got to win those games. But like you said, with Steve, with Steve, I agree. I think at this point we need to just keep the offense as simple and efficient as possible. Now, the motion principles are always good, like the DHOs and the fake handoffs and the you know the pin downs, all that stuff. And there's those aspects
2: are- of it that are good, but you, we've yeah. seen at this point the limitations of it. Throughout but we the can't run of this entire the entire season.
0: I agree. I think at this point knowing that Steph is going to be out. We already knew he was going to be out, but if it sounds like it, maybe it's a little longer than hope we hoped, even if it's like eight, nine games, even if it's four or five games, I still agree with you that it should be, we should run more pick and roll from a simpl- simplicity standpoint because it just limits the turnovers a little bit more. It keeps the defense a little bit more honest from in certain, in certain respects. Jemichael, a guy like Jemichael and Kaminga, are better suited in a more pick and roll. Absolutely. Dude, Michael Green is a pick and roll yeah. player. Exactly. So the, I do agree. I think th- this, so again, the, the, again, that's a, something I'm looking at is like, st- what are the adjustments Steve is making in this final third of the season? Is he running more pick? Is he, you know, emphasizing more pick and roll? Is he leaning more defense, but you know, certain, certain styles and coverages, what lineups is he putting out there? What combinations is he exploring? Is he keeping the rotation tight? Is he expanding it? Who does he trust in the closing moments? Who is he sitting? Who is he playing high, high minutes? Who is he limiting those nuances? Those sorts of things are, are going to be what I'm looking at. Obviously two games, three games, fine. But over the course of the the next six, seven, eight games, you're going to start to see a pattern and compile information. That's going to tell you the story of what Steve Kerr views about this team and who's playing well enough to earn minutes. So ultimate, and is he, is he going to play Moody? Like those sorts of things, you see what I'm saying? Like, I'm curious to see what he does because I do think it's going to tell us where he thinks the team is at, and then it'll reflect as to where, like who's playing well, that sort of thing. But yeah, I didn't want to cut you off there about the the pick and roll point. So keep going. Yeah,
2: so ultimately, you brought up Moody, uh, and that's. I'll just finish off my point with this. Uh, I I don't think they should be running a whole bunch of different guys. I don't think they should be running uh, 10 man rotations at this point because. The more playing time you give any uh, role player, bench player, they're going to be more in rhythm and play better as well. The less they play and they're, the more there's constantly guys in and out of the lineup, it's harder to, it's harder to catch a rhythm that way. That's why most teams play a, a nine-man rotation, even in the regular season. And so given that the Warriors need to be looking at more of a playoff rotation, uh, playoff schemes to ensure that they don't end up in a really bad situation towards the end of the season... They have to try to maximize everything they can. And so, you know, Moody, I don't understand why. I continue to not understand why they don't play uh, PBJ. Because in my opinion, you look at Lamb and you look at Jermichael Green. And I think with PBJ, you kind of get that in between where I think he's a more reliable uh, defender than Jermichael Green is from a fundamental standpoint. He's a very smart player, even though he's a rookie. Uh, Being a coach's son and whatever, we've seen that. Uh, The other thing is that he's a better rebounder than Lamb, right? So, defense like Lamb is a better defender than Jermichael Green, but he's a worse rebounder than Jermichael Green. And PBJ is like that between guy who can consistently shoot, uh, can rebound better than Lamb, and can defend better than Jermichael Green. And in some ways, you have
0: a piece. You can can play him next to like Certain like you can play him next to Draymond or Loon, absolutely. And he's not bad defensively. Like you can just fortify that front court with a really good like PBJ is kind of like Otto to where in like he has Otto qualities because he's not horrible defensively, but he's not incredible. Like Otto is a way better defender. But I'm saying like PBJ is not a negative. He can still hold his own in certain spots, and then you put him you pair him next to Draymond or Loon, and it's like now you got an anchor who can rebound who can do the extra stuff. As long as PBJ PBJ stays solid, you know he's going to hit some shots. He's going to cut. He's going to move the ball. He's going to do those things. He'll get a couple of rebounds. Right, that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, and part of the reason why Steve Kerr uh, probably doesn't like him is probably due to him missing certain things, actions that he wants within the motion offense that maybe PBJ sometimes misses, right? And so for the sake of wanting to run this offense that's m- kind of mediocre, right? You're you're sacrificing everything else along the way. And so, if they just simply ran more pick and roll, uh, and if they got some open looks for PBJ, and if they allow him to kind of play alongside a guy like Draymond, I think he's the option that we are constantly looking for from the buyout. We're looking for a guy like that, but the team has a guy like that on their bench, and can, he continues to sit there for no good reason. It's very frustrating. So, I don't know how that situation is going to play out. Uh, Kerr, you know, he tried him uh, at various points of the season, and now we're coming to a close, and he's still not playing him, and yet he's playing Moody. And I just, you know, when Moody's in there, they just have too many small guys in rotation. That's one of their biggest problems is that they're too small, which is why they can't rebound. It's very deflating when you play a good defense for 20 seconds, and then you give up an offensive rebound, and then the other team has another opportunity to score.
0: I think I are- think you know what I think Kurt might. So that's like what you're saying right now about PBJ and Moody. That's gonna tell us some stuff. If he does, if he just doesn't play them at all and keep like just un- unless it's garbage time, I think that I I wouldn't like that personally. I think he should play them. I think they can be positive and I think they can contribute. Um, and you got to play them like the last twenty four games because you got to see what you have. What if Moody goes on a run where? He's given you eight points, three rebounds, couple assists, playing you know, okay defense. That's still a role player. What if PBJ's hitting threes and the dude is just looking solid and maybe in the playoff setting, maybe Jamichael sprains something or his toe, whatever, his ankle, and he's out for a week or two. You, you want to be able to call a guy's number and trust. Like you want to be able to trust dudes down your bench? Right and and plug them in and see enough to be like okay look I'm calling your number because this guy's out but I can trust that you'll you'll come out like remember Damian Lee in the in the uh, conference finals last year against Dallas wasn't getting I think
1: it. that's Moody or was it
0: no no I'm saying Dam- yeah Damian Lee was just not playing well and then Moody, oh yeah yeah Moody comes in and Moody just does exactly change so. that
1: changed... was insane
0: yeah and, and you so know what's the funny thing like, about that yeah.
2: Dre, the funny thing about that is we were calling for more moody minutes over Lee throughout the course of last
0: year too. I know. right?
2: So, And you're saying like if Jermichael Green gets injured, then PBJ will be ready and like such, but I'm saying PBJ is probably a better player than Jermichael Green right now. That's why I want him to be in rotation over him and just give him an actual opportunity to prove that. And he's never been able to prove it. Jermichael Green is not a reliable defender. Right now he's more of an offensive threat for them. It's not what they need.
0: That's true. No, so Jamichael is a pretty good rebounder, but I'll say this about PBJ. I think he's less variant than uh, than Jermichael, The thing with Jermichael is he's not the greatest screen setter, and he's he's a, he's an okay passer. He's not horrible. He can pass a little bit, but he does give up some stuff defensively, and his role is a bit niche. Right, like. But he's been he's been playing pretty well the last few weeks, all things. Only different. offensively.
2: Offensively. From yeah. yes, he's a better rebounder. You can say that. However, he's not reliable defensively. And so it doesn't matter what he can do in terms of rebounds when he's giving up points when he's on the floor. Right. PBJ just the, the point way of PBJ, rebounding is to get a stop first.
0: No, no, and I agree. And the way PBJ plays, I think the way his like approach to the game is just he, he's very solid. He doesn't really make too many mistakes. Does he have limitations? Yes, but he's not like a guy who who's high variance. Like he doesn't. He's not like he'll have really good games and really bad games. He's actually pretty stable and, and consistent. So I agree. Like exploring a Moody, exploring a PBJ, exploring these younger dudes who could be consistent. Look at Kaminga. Like even though Kaminga stro- struggled a bit the last week or two, like overall he's been relatively a good defender. He'll fall asleep a little bit off the ball. He'll struggle a bit in spots, but he's a good defender on the ball. He rebounds okay. He's not really great or bad. He's okay.
2: He's not and a good rebounder. I'm just gonna say. I don't that think he's out. good.
0: I think he's just okay. I think he's he's okay. He's not great. He's he's. I think you know three rebounds a game, four rebounds, whatever. Not great. But it's not like it's two or one. Like, no. In- but but my point is this: Kaminga also he has he's also been very good with moving the ball. Like, he's played within the offense. And his, his athleticism is something this team desperately longs for. Like, his rim pressure is actually very real. So, again, Kamingo, while he has limitations, he's proven to be consistent in other ways that has kept him on the floor and made him a viable, productive piece. So, this is, I agree with PBJ and Moody. They have qualities to their game and to their approach and how they play, their styles. With PBJ, the shooting, the ball movement, the the... That sort of thing, the, the positional defense with Moody, the shooting, the cut—you know, uh, not necessarily cutting because they don't use him like that—but he can cut a little bit. The rebounding, Moody's a little bit underrated in that aspect. He the hustle plays, the um, and then the the connectivity overall, just a role player, just solid. Those types of dudes, I agree. Like it, Jamichael is is a good piece. I don't think he's he doesn't blow me away. He does he's not horrible. Like you, as your ninth man, he's not bad, but I would rather see more Kaminga and more PBJ at that position because from a depth standpoint, but also from a different, you know, more consistent standpoint in other ways. Kuminga's defense is a little bit yeah. better. I, w- I want to make it clear. Yeah,
2: I want to make it clear that Jonathan Kuminga and PBJ positionally are completely different. PBJ is a clear power forward. He's six nine. He's like 200. No, no, no I agree. I'm saying
0: from a down. positional stand, like front court. I'm saying like front court overall. Like, right, I know right. Jamichael, like, I know you think, like, is not a good enough rebounder to play the four. What I'm saying is, like, Kaminga can still guard in space better than Jamichael can. Kaminga can still guard wings better than Jamichael can. And wings are generally front court guys. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but they still need clarity on small forward and power forward. It just can't be like forward, forward. It's got to be because Kaminga is a lesser rebounder. Uh, he absolutely just belongs as small forward, and like you said, he does a lot of good things as small forward, right? It's it becomes problematic when you say like, okay, now go and do power force, power forward stuff too. That's not you're asking too much of him. And so if you can just clarify that and realize that PBJ is he's six nine, he's you know he's like Jermichael Green also, right? It's just I think he defensively he I've seen more from him than Jermichael Green. I I can't trust Jermichael Green as a uh, in the playoffs, I can't rely on him to defend anybody. He's not a defensive player. And so that, that's why I'm so hungry to see more PBJ minutes. Um, but, you know, just just moving this conversation forward, um, the Warriors have a, they have a very tough situation coming up. Obviously, again, if Steph Curry's out for longer, then that's more the reason for them to maximize this homestand opportunity that they have and make sure that they're able to win at least three of those games. And if they can just hold for it until he comes back, um, and again, since they don't have the proper pieces to be better defensively, they need to get better offensively. Sometimes improving your offense automatically improves your defense as well. When you're having problems on both ends of the floor, and you have already have defensive problems, but then you have these lulls like in late and fourth quarter where you don't score for four or five minutes stretches because you're running this hopeless offense that everybody knows exactly what you're going to do. Well, then how are you going to win games? So you can't do much about the defense at this point. What you can do is fix up the offense and improve at least on one side of the floor to give yourself uh, a better opportunity and a chance to win more games.
0: I, I hear you. I think though, ultimately, even if we end up like, let's say we're 12th in offense now, let's say we're top, Seven or eight in off. Like, I just think to me, if we remain bottom half in defense, I just think we're not. We will be, we'll be competitive. We'll be okay. But I don't think. I just think we're in a better position. If that, de- so right now, again, we're twentieth in defense. But again, the the or no no twentieth. Uh, yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Sorry, I
2: know what you're saying. I know but, what you're saying. In terms but I'm ultimately air, saying course, that
0: like within a point. Like we are within a point out of like twelfth in defense. To me, it's like, but you're right. The offense can't help the defense. You put the ball in the basket, right? You you can also you like put set more your pressure defense on the other out. team. Yeah. But also, we don't have like if we're lean. See, that's more of a stylistic thing because there's two ways you change your offense, right? The lineups you play or the style of play. So if you're running Jordan Clay, you know. PBJ. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it, you're losing some defense there. But if you play Jordan, Clay, Kaminga, who PBJ, Draymond. Something like, I don't know, something like that. No, it sounds Maybe, good. Yeah, it's not it's not a bad lineup. It's not great offensively. Like you still got Kaminga and, and Draymond out there who have limitations. But you can like you can balance it out to where you're running pick and roll with with Poole and Draymond. And now you got PBJ in the corner, Kaminga cutting, and then play in the corner like you see what I'm saying
2: and Draymond playmaking right so all of right. them are involved uh from an offensive standpoint running the pick and roll with a lineup like that right uh, what I'm saying from a defensive standpoint of course I agree with you if you don't improve defensively then you're not going to win anything right you know me I'm all about defense but at this point they don't have Gary Payton they haven't picked up that extra piece from the buyout so there's nothing that they can actually do in terms of being better defensively other than playing maybe different rotations where you're not so limited because you're playing too small but other than that you have who you have until at least Gary Payton comes back and when Gary Payton comes back then everything will change for them in terms of how good they can be defensively right so until that time comes when until uh, reinforcements are available the best thing they can do is mix up their offense and improve it because defensively they can only do so much with the pieces that they have it is what it is that's what
0: I'm saying. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think right now there's no bright spots from it. Like, there, there's some positive trends. There's some positive stuff. But at the end of the day, like, there's no, there's nothing we can take away from pre-All-Star break and say, this is, like, incre- we're not playing consistent on either end. Like, at the end of the day, we, we've had positive trends throughout. We've had the five-game win streak. We've paired together a couple three-game win streaks. We've seen flashes of the defense. We've seen... The offense look very good in stretches. We're shooting the ball well, but at the end of the day, we haven't been able to put together enough consistency to where we can identify a, a real trend that we can carry over not only to the play, uh, to the second or this final third of the season, but also the playoffs overall. Um, Manu, did you uh, did you want to add anything from a lineups or like patterns or stylistic standpoint? Um, yeah, or anything we just said? Yeah, anything that we just discussed, like. Um, do you, do you have any uh anything to add?
1: Yeah, um I mean honestly it's just I'm um, rehashing what you guys have said um throughout the year again. It's you know we've been consistent at one thing and that's being inconsistent. So again, it's just this one run. If we find this one run where I know we've been hoping for this all season but I truly believe that you know if we can get it together the same way we did last year while um, at the same time, not having to overload um, the rest of our, you know, Steph, Gary, the rest of our guys as well, um, as well as you know, not giving them like extremely high usage, while maybe playing, you know, like a Moody or a or a Patrick Baldwin a, a little bit, you know, not not too much, but like so that we can have a next man up kind of kind of thing. If someone does go down, then I think we'll be fine. It's just you know, Kurs, you know, the Warriors have been here before. They know what it takes to win. Uh, I know we've been inconsistent this year, but I think if, you know, we just lock in a few games, 10 games, 15 games, that's all we need. If we can win a bunch of games without Steph, without Gary, we can play good defense without them. If we can play good defense without them, I think we'll be okay. Because once they know that, once they're locked in, I feel like they're going to get back to that 2022 playoff run that, or at least you know, even in twenty fifteen, seventeen, eighteen, I know it was different. But you know, they know what it takes to win. So as long as they got that, I think we'll be fine.
0: And and my last point, and I and and then I'll let uh, Jim close out. Like there is this thing of like, oh, we're like, and I, I remember Draymond said this. Uh, like I don't know how recent because he's on so many platforms, but he said my the, like the fear of losing is more powerful to him. Than the joy of winning. Like that sort of thing. I think that mentality is kind of consistent throughout the team. Like I think Clay is the same way. Jordan operates like that. And that's why I think they these dudes all play better post-all-star break. And we see like the bet like the process looks just better. Because they understand that like Certain things have to fall into place, right? The balance has to be achieved. The, the you know the defense needs to be at a certain level. We have to score at a at a decent clip. All these things have to, these variables have to align for to give us a chance. We can't have Jordan chucking up, sh- you know, twenty two shots and Clay taking twenty six and all this stuff. We need balance. We need Kaminga to score twelve points. Clay to have twenty four. Jordan to have you know twenty six. Draymond to have eight. No, I'm saying like balance across the board, and then defensively, we gotta string together stops, rebound the ball, and all that stuff. And I think that understanding of like these dudes want to win so badly, it's part of their DNA, it's part of their pedigree, it's part of, it's part of what makes them so special on this not only this run, but like even the post KD era, you you just see it, right? You see it with Steph in 2021. That pride he had, 15 and five run, averaging 40 near damn near 40 in a month, like. You see with Clay coming back from these injuries, post-Achilles, post-ACL, the run he had in the playoffs last year, he averaged 20, like 20 points, and he gave us good production. He had some off games. He had some really, really good games. But And then you see Jordan. Jordan kind of finding his, finding his footing, finding his groove. In every series, he was guarded a little differently. Against Dallas, he played a little differently than he did against Memphis, than he did against Boston. But he still delivered in his own role in every series, in his own way. So you look at all these dudes across the boards. Wiggins, Wiggins like what he was able to do and from a rebounding standpoint. from a Even though his shot wasn't falling, the process was good. He was locking down Tatum, locking down Luca, st- remaining consistent, focusing on rebounds, keying in, emphasizing certain things. Across the board, one through, 1 through 10, 1 through 12, whatever. You look at Dante. You look at GP2. These guys are Swiss Army knives. Like what they do, their skill set, the versatility they provide, the combinations. The shooting, the cutting, the playmaking, the defense, all this stuff, the connectiveness. I just think the desperation these guys have to win when, when the time comes, when the rubber meets the road, I think that's an underrated part in all this, which is why I'm, part of me is a little bit pessimistic that without Steph, without GP2, and, and now we, we know without Wiggins possibly for a couple games, like, do we have enough? But... Part of me is also like, we've been through much more difficult circumstances. We've operated under worse conditions. And the pride and the pedigree and the DNA of these guys to me, I just can't bet on it until I'm forced to, right? So, or sorry, bet against it until I'm forced to. And all I can do at this point is look at like what they've accomplished and look at what I know they're capable of, and say, look, Clay, I think Clay and Draymond understand. They're the leaders right now, right? Because Steph is out, they're gonna they're gonna figure out they're gonna figure out that calibration and fine tune what they need to do, and and I I just have faith that there is some pessimism in me where like again like I said, it's unbalanced. It it we didn't end the the first part of the season well, pre All Star break. We got guys hurt. We got you know things jumbled up. Steve is playing Anthony Lamb now. Like there's no consistency or rhythm that we've built. But we've again we've been in worse situations, and I've seen these guys rise to the occasion far too many times to not believe they won't again. And they'll fall. They'll calibrate and fall into place accordingly based on what the situation presents. So that's kind of my three cents on how I see these next couple of weeks playing out. Is that desperation is going to force the alignment of certain things. Now, is it going to be perfect? I'm not saying we're going to win 10 in a row, but there is going to be this balancing and evening out of how things are because of that, right? Like, I just think that process is going to figure itself out in some way. Uh, Jim, final thoughts, or what, what do you think about, like, you know, what do you expect to see overall?
2: Well, that was mostly a macro overall look at what's to come for the remainder of the season and so we're looking even though there's you know a month and change left on the season we're still looking kind of ahead right so there's still a lot to look forward to within the next couple of weeks Uh, the buyout market obviously that's going to be over uh, early March so as soon as a viable name comes up well, we'll be fighting for that for sure number one because Yes, the Warriors still need that auto replacement. It's gonna, it just gonna, it's just gonna change everything for their defense. Uh, if you add that piece and Gary Payton, they're gonna look very similar to how they looked last season. So they can look like a completely different team come playoff time. So there's that. And again, with or without Wiggins, uh, I believe when they went on that one five game winning streak earlier in the season, Wiggins was also out, right? I think both of Oh uh, no, you're right. Wiggins no, yeah. Out.
0: It was Steph and Wiggins, yep.
2: Yeah. So they've shown an ability to win with the tandem of, you know, kind of Jordan Poole, Dante and Clay, uh, these guys along with Dre and Looney. So they have the proper pieces to be not fundamentally broken, uh, even with Steph out. They just they just have to continue to hold for it and just do their absolute best. So we'll continue to monitor what's going on over the next couple of weeks.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. This was probably our, I think this was our longest episode by far of the entire podcast, like ever. Ironically. We really, yeah, we really, it wasn't exactly perfect, but um, we really covered a lot. We covered a lot of content. We covered a lot of the nuance and what we expect to see behind things and just different thoughts and ideas as to like what we hope for, what we expect to see and ultimately um what we what we have seen and what we potentially will see, so this combination of expectations and and that type of thing, but we're gonna continue to uh like like Jim said, we're gonna continue to track everything going forward and hopefully start on a good note uh you know this Thursday we play the Lakers, but even afterwards we got that five five game home stand, so that's gonna be big for us but yeah I just think we, we covered a lot and and this was really good um but I appreciate you guys for for coming back and, and Manu for coming back in because uh, he missed the last episode so that that was big and uh, thanks to everybody for listening appreciate you guys and uh, I'll see you next time i